John chapter 9. I draw your attention there to the verse 22. These words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Tonight I want to speak about the name of Christ. We need to have an understanding of its meaning. We need to realize how important that precious name is unto us and how fundamental it is in the scriptures. After all, we are called Christians. That is, followers of Christ, believers in the Christ. And so I think we should have a good understanding of what the name means. Now in John chapter 9, the Lord Jesus Christ did one of his greatest miracles. The healing of a man who was born blind. Even this blind man said, it has never been heard from the beginning of the world of a man who was born blind receiving his sight because being born blind is a defect of the development of the baby in the womb and it basically means that they have no eyes or the optic nerve is utterly severed and born blind shall never ever in this world be able to see but here Jesus he sees a man born blind and he miraculously and marvelously heals him by making lumps of clay, putting them onto his eyes and giving him new eyes and opening them so that he might see. And it's a great miracle and so great is this miracle in the appearance of this man who had no eyes that now he is hardly recognisable. It makes him look so different. And the people who knew him says, oh this is him who now sees. And others says, oh I don't think it is him, it doesn't look like him. And they had to get the parents in and they said, is this your son who you say was born blind? And they said, yes, this is him, this is our son, and we know of assuredly he was born blind. And then they add, verse 21, by what means he now seeth, we know not, or who hath opened his eyes, we know not, he is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. And they're very careful and guarded in their words, and there's a reason for that. And the reason is given by the apostle. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. So they're very guarded in their confession of how he now sees, because they're not prepared to confess 
that he was a man that healed him and that man was Christ. They're not prepared to confess Christ. That was one of the great miracles that the Christ who was predicted in the Old Testament was to do. He was to make the blind to see. The Christ was to do that and they're not prepared to say he is the Christ. They're not prepared to make the confession of his person. They won't confess Christ. Because the confessors of Christ, the religious leaders, have made a decision. And they still stick to that decision today. Whosoever confesses he is Christ is put out. Out of Judaism. Out of the synagogue. This is the thing that separates. This is the thing that makes the difference. The confession of him as Christ. As Christ. That's going too far. And we're considering that confession tonight. That dangerous confession of Jesus as the Christ. And it's a thing prominent in John's Gospel. Andrew, you remember he found his own brother Simon. And what does John say? He, he said unto him, We have found the Messiah. That's a Hebrew word. Which being interpreted, and this is the Greek word, the Christ. We found Christ. He told Peter, and he led him to Christ. And then the Samaritans, you remember reading in, in John chapter 4, all the Samaritans came to Jesus, and they heard his word, and they said to the woman who brought the first report concerning him, you remember what that woman said? She said very carefully, very hesitantly, she says, could not this be the Christ? And after they went and heard him and saw them for them, themselves, they came to the woman and said, Now we believe, not because of thy saying only, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. That's what it means to be the Christ, the Savior of the world. We believe now the Christ. He's the Christ. And the apostles in chapter 6, you remember they were all going away, all the disciples, but there were those apostles who remained steadfast, and they said, We believe and are sure that thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. And you remember Martha at the grave of Lazarus, near the grave, near the cemetery? Uh, she said unto him, This is Martha's confession. Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. The Christ. So this had meaning for them. And we need to understand that meaning and know what this precious name is all about. Thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And then you remember the Lord's high priestly prayer as he started it off praying he says, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus, 
the Christ whom thou hast sent. So it's important to know him not just as Jesus, but especially as Christ. Christ. And you remember how John, he wrote his gospel, and at the end he says, I'm writing this gospel for this very reason, he says. They're written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And we often emphasize the Son of God aspect of it, that's prominent in John's Gospel, but there's also this other aspect as well, though both are connected, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So it's a very important theme. And tonight we are considering the Christian confessing Jesus as the Christ. I want you to know that this name Christ, it's not a proper surname. They didn't have surnames in those times. They were identified by other characteristics and different things. Maybe the son of somebody, or maybe the place that they come from, such as Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus was his proper name. It was given by revelation. It's a very important name. We know that. But everybody called him Jesus, even friend or foe. He was still Jesus. Nobody had problem with the name of Jesus. But it was this title, Christ, which is not a surname, but a name of office, a name of position, a name setting forth who he is and what he's about. It's that name that give difficulty to the Jews and Pharisees. They recognized he was Jesus, but they denied and refused to him the name Christ. And anybody who confessed it, that was the break with Judaism, and they were put out. And people who were baptized in the Christian church, they had to confess Christ, Jesus the Christ, in order to be baptized. Uh, and to this day, as I said, Jews will not call him Christ. This confession severs a man from the Jewish faith. So this confession is vital and important in the life of a Christian. Now, by confession is meant the speaking with the mouth, the telling forth with the lips, with the mouth, confession is made. And there are different kinds of confession in the Bible. There is the need for the confession of sins. That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the confession of the name. To be a Christian is to confess, to be honest about what's in your heart and to tell it out what is in your heart and in the heart of a true believer in Jesus is this conviction that he is the Christ. And so we confess Jesus the Christ. And that was the, one of the earliest confessions of faith. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. The, the Gospel confession, the, the New Testament confession, and that confession grew and grew into the Apostles' Creed and into the articles of faith that now we have in our modern times. But the first credo, 
the first confession is the Christ. That commences it all. That starts it all. The basic confession of Jesus as the Christ. Now, credo is a Latin verb. It means I believe. And it's made with the mouth. I believe Jesus is the Christ. This is the heart of New Covenant worship, isn't it? That Jesus is the Christ. You see, this ends the old. If we don't make this confession, we don't have the New Testament, we don't enter into the New Testament, if we're not prepared to make this confession and Christ is rejected, we only have the Old Testament alone. And we're just merely Jews. And we're just merely Judaistic. But it is the confession of Jesus as the Christ that brings us over into the new and makes us new covenant believers, makes us the true people of God, Christians, receiving Christ. And the New Testament begins with these words, Matthew's Gospel, the book of the generation of Jesus Christus, Jesus Christ. So, so that's the heart of the Christian confession. And that's why we read Matthew chapter 16, where this confession was first made. It was Peter who said it. The Lord Jesus was bringing him up there to Caesarea Philippi. That's not an accident, because up there in Caesarea Philippi was where all the pagan deities would have been worshipped in the land of Israel. And there was a very special cave there that was looked upon as, as very deep and going down into Hades and hell. And the gods came up out of that, the pagan gods, they were identified with that, all the darkness. And Jesus went up, although he didn't go to the cave, and he didn't stand at the cave when he said it, he was only in the borders and in the coasts of Caesarea Philippi because he wouldn't blot himself or stain himself, as it were, with the pagan idolatry or be identified with it. But he brought them up to the borders as far as that and said, who do people say that I am? And they come up with all kinds of answers, what people were saying. But then he said, but who do you say that I am? And they said, that Peter said it actually, thou art the Christ. That's the first thing, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter. It hasn't been revealed to you by flesh and blood. My father has showed that to you. Of course, through the scriptures, but he's revealed it to him. And that's a great confession. And Jesus says upon that, I build my church. So it's very important, isn't it, to know what the Christ means and the Christ is. Seeing that the whole church is built upon this person who is Christ, the Son of God. And as I said, John brings it out in this gospel. He also brings it out in his epistles. He speaks about it in several times. He says, Hereby we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. That's how you try the spirits. Because all these spirits will be speaking. They'll be speaking through men. And these false prophets will all be speaking about Jesus. And they'll be saying this. And they'll be saying that. And they'll be saying the other. How are we going to distinguish? How are we going to know the true spirit from the evil spirit? The spirit that confesses Jesus the Christ is true. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ 
is come in the flesh is not of God, but is that spirit of Antichrist. You see that? Antichrist. Not just anti-Jesus, but anti-Christ. It's very important. And this is coming out time and time again in the apostolic writings. We preach not ourselves, but Christ, Jesus the Lord. We preach Christ crucified. So we should know what it means. Many deceivers, John says, are gone into the world who confess not that Jesus the Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and antichrist. Now the word Christ means anointed. It's a Greek word for anointed and the Hebrew word is Messiah for anointed Messiah in the Old Testament scriptures. So what are we confessing then when we confess he's the anointed, the Christ? What are we saying that we believe in our hearts? And that we must believe in our hearts in order to be saved. Well, we're saying four things. And I'll not spend long, I don't think, on these. Just so that you know them, basically. Uh, The first is that he is the one promised in the scriptures. The Lord Jesus as Christ fulfilled all the annunciations of the scriptures. And then the Lord Jesus Christ as Christ had the authority of the sovereign most high almighty God. And then thirdly, the Lord Jesus as Christ had the anointing to the fullness of the spirit. And then the Lord Jesus as Christ was the only and solitary achiever of the great salvation that men need. To say those four things is to confess the Christ. First of all, he is the one as Christ who has fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. Because in the Old Testament scriptures, there was always one being promised One that was to come, one who was to be sent by God, one who was to be raised up in time, the Lord's anointed, the true prophet, the true priest, the son of David, the priest after the order of Melchizedek, the kingly priest and the prophet priest, this Messiah, this truly anointed, this one sent of God and all the people knew that he was to come and the one who was to come was Christ that's how they called him that's how they recognized him God's anointed because the nations and all the people they rise up against the Lord and his anointed so there's a second person And the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand, at God's right hand, till I make all thine enemies thy footstool. There's this second person who is Lord, uh, who is God's anointed, who is God's king on the holy mount of Zion. This promised figure, Christ. And so he is the one set forth in the Old Testament scriptures. You remember Paul? 
after he was converted, he went to the synagogues and around the different synagogues and he convinced mightily the Jews, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. So that's the first thing that we confess about Jesus, that he's the one promised, he's the one in the scriptures, he's the one told us about in prophecy and promise, in picture, all these different ways of setting forth the one to come, Christ. You remember how Paul said, I delivered unto you that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's not just that Jesus of Nazareth died for our sins, though that is true, but the recognition of all the Old Testament authority behind him, the Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So whenever we're confessing Christ, thou art the Christ, we're just basically saying, thou art the one told about in the Old Testament, Thou art the one set forth there so clearly. Thou art the one there who fulfills all that is told us concerning this coming one. And you remember even Herod, and I don't think he was much of a biblical scholar, but he knew even about the Christ. And he got all the people together, all the teachers and all the men who knew the scriptures whenever they had the, the visit of the Magi from the east. And he gathered all the chief priests and scribes and he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So there's this expectation of Christ coming. And we believe in the Christian church that's Jesus. He fulfills all of that. And if he doesn't, then we've been 2,000 years without any fulfillment. As the Jews believe, they're still waiting for Messiah. They're still waiting for Christ. They're so blinded that they don't see it. And they're still vainly and in the darkness waiting, all the while persecuting those and putting them out of Judaism and having nothing to do with them, spitting upon the very name of Jesus because of those who confess him as Christ. Well, we do. We believe that the Old Testament has been fulfilled in him. We're not waiting for anything else. He fulfills it all. It's all complete in him. He's our sacrifice. He's our prophet, our priest, our king. We're not waiting for anybody else. He's our temple. He's our altar. He's all that we need. He's all that we go to. He is the fulfillment of everything that sets forth Christ in the Old Testament. Thus we confess as Christians the Christ of God. And then secondly, we are also confessing not only that he is the one promised in the scriptures, but also that he had the authority of the sovereign, the authority of God. So the Lord Jesus, whenever we say thou art the Christ, we're saying you are the one who God has sent. 
You are the one sent by the Father. You are the one commissioned. You are the one given the work to do. As the Father said, this is my beloved Son. This is Him. This is the one I've raised up. This is the Christ who is to you my salvation to the ends of the earth. So it's not a case of, you know, it's all accidental. There's this man, Jesus, who was born into the world and then he's a kind of an afterthought and God said, well, I'll make him my Christ and I'll sort of make it all fit in. No, he was sent, having been promised. And he came into the world with all authority. Even as the angel said, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And so he is sent. He is commissioned. It's official. He hasn't gone on his own calling. He's not a high priest of his own volition. But he's been made a high priest by God. He's been made a prophet by God his Father. He's been made a king. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So we are confessing that he has all the authority of heaven, all the authority of God the Father behind him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So that's what we're confessing as well. And this was something that the Jews were always bringing to Jesus. And he got very impatient with them on occasions about this. Give us a sign of your authority. Or by what authority do you do these things? And of course he did it with the authority of Christ. The Christ. And so we're confessing he has this divine authority. That he's God's man for us. And that he comes from heaven and all of heaven and all of the Father and all of the angels and everything that God has on his side is for his Christ. We confess that. So he's the one fulfilling the scriptures. He's the one who has the authority of the sovereign of heaven, almighty God. But thirdly, in this name we are confessing that he has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what the name means, anointed. And that means to receive the Holy Spirit. Now anointing was a thing that was carried out on prophets, priests and kings. Because they had very important offices. God raised them up and God put them in very important offices. And Christ is in very important office as Messiah, as Christ. He's priest, king, and prophet. And, of course, whenever they were put into those offices, they had to receive very special oil, very special anointing upon their head. And that was symbolic of the heavenly assistance of the Holy Spirit that they needed in the work that they were to do. A prophet cannot be a preacher of God's word and give the word of God without the Holy Spirit. So he has to have an anointing. He gets it in symbol by oil, but he also gets something of the reality of it to be able to prophesy. And also the kings, especially David, he was a good king, 
and he was an inspired king and he wrote the Psalms. So he had the Holy Spirit truly in his life, as did the high priest Aaron. But whenever Jesus came, he was the only one who had all three offices in his life and who was put into the office of mediator to carry out functions in these three areas. Because to save us, he had to be a prophet to illuminate our darkness. And he had to be a priest to deal with our sins and bring us to God. And he had to be a king to subdue us and conquer all our sins and conquer all our enemies and defeat Satan, our greatest enemy. We needed him as prophet, priest, and king in all of these areas of our salvation. And of course, he couldn't be an ordinary man. He had to be God-man to do all these things. And he had to be able to receive the Spirit in measures which no mere man could do. And so he received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So great is the fullness of the Holy Spirit that he received that he distributes the Holy Spirit to us in his grace. And the Holy Spirit flows through him to us, from the head to us Christians, so that we are little anointed ones, we're giving the Spirit from Christ. But it is Christ who receives all the fullness of the Holy Spirit. As the Bible says, he receiveth the Spirit without measure. It's immeasurable, the Spirit in Christ's life. He's filled with all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is the one who's able to receive the fullness of the Holy Ghost in all of his divine power and wisdom. And so he is anointed by the Holy Spirit and put into these different roles on our behalf. As Psalm 45 predicted, thou lovest righteousness, thou hatest wickedness. Therefore God, and the prophet is addressing Messiah and calling him God, therefore God, thy God, that is his Father, he anoints thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And so this God is the anointed God, anointed above and beyond all his fellows. And we're his fellows because we're joined to him by faith. We're his friends. We're his younger brethren. We believe and trust in Jesus. But this God who is our elder brother he receives the anointing of the Spirit above and beyond and we, we draw it from him, the Spirit's grace and blessing in our lives. And so it's only Jesus who can say, the Spirit of the Lord rests upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit in all his sevenfold perfection. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. And so Christ has the Holy Spirit and he gifts him to us. And he promised us, he says, whenever I ascend and I go to my Father, I'll send to you to share in the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so when we confess Christ, we're confessing he's the one who has the Holy Spirit. And we get the Holy Spirit from him. And it's only by him and his Spirit that we get light and understanding and get our sins subdued 
and were brought into the true faith. So we're confessing then that he is the one who truly has the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's nobody else like that. And the Jews will never see anyone else who will come. Yes, there will be people who will come and say, I'm Christ. And there are many who come in my name and say, I'm Christ, he says, but don't believe them. And we don't believe them. We believe Jesus is the Christ and we get the Holy Spirit from him and the more we want of the Spirit in our life, we know where to go to him who is the vessel with all the fullness of the Holy Ghost. We go to Christ for grace. We go to Christ for light. We go to Christ for the warmth. We go to Christ for the comfort of the Holy Ghost. He's our Christ. This is what we confess when we confess Christ. And then lastly, we are confessing also that he is the one who brings in the great salvation. The achiever of salvation. You see, this Christ promised in the scriptures, sent with all the authority of heaven, given the anointing of the Spirit beyond measure, he is this one who comes to restore us to God, who comes to bring us into the new heavens and the new earth, who comes to fix everything that has been broken by the fall and by sin. This Christ, he's the fixer, he's the redeemer, He's a reconciler of us unto God. He is the restorer of all things. The last Adam who restores all things and brings in the new and brings us into that restored new heavens and new earth by his matchless grace. We're confessing he's the one who does it. He's the one who makes the city of God to come down among men so that men may dwell with God forever and ever. It's our Christ who does this. And our Christ alone who does this. And that's why he's come to save us and to bring us into the new with all the forgiveness of our sins. And so that's why this name is so important. The Christ. Because he is our saviour. Not just as Jesus. Jesus tells us that he is saviour. But Christ tells us how he is saviour. And how he saves. And he saves as mediator. As prophet, priest and king. That we believe in. To restore us on to God. Now this aspect of Christian preaching. Is often neglected in evangelical circles. You hear a lot about. Oh receive Jesus. Receive Jesus into your life. Ask Jesus into your heart. And all of this. This modern day evangelical Christianity. Where there's plenty of emphasis on the Jesus. And receiving him as such. 
but there's not so much emphasis on this great confession of him as Christ. And we receive him as the Christ of God. And we believe in him as the Christ of God. Not some Jesus airy-fairy in our imaginations, you know. No, the Jesus who is the Christ. The one set forth in the Old Testament. The one who has all the authority of heaven behind him. The one who is filled with the immeasurable glory of the Holy Spirit. And the one who restores everything by his divine power for us sinners. That's who we believe in. The Son of God, the Christ. And so we trust in him if we get down to the particulars as our prophet who takes away our darkness and gives us understanding by his word as our priest who deals with our sins and reconciles us to God by his once for all sacrifice, by his blood and then as our king who reigns in us and who subdues our sins and who brings us against all the difficulties of the world, the flesh and the devil, who brings us at last into the heavenly domain, our king. You see, he is those things to us now. You know, some people have a, a very funny, foolish view of Jesus as Christ. You know, he was a prophet whenever he walked on the earth for three and a half years. And he was a priest on the cross when he died on the cross and he gave himself a sacrifice. And he's coming back at the end of the world and he'll be a king. He's a prophet every day. He's a priest every day. Who gave us once for all offering and who intercedes on the basis of that and brings to us all covenant blessings as our great high priest. And he's a king every day in our lives who we look to and depend upon to conquer all our enemies. He's a Christ. Now, prophet, priest and king. Yesterday, today and forever, Jesus Christ, the same. The same. Always the same for us. And he never changes. And it's blessed to his holy name that he never changes and therefore we have a salvation that is sure and certain because we trust in one who never changes. Christ. Christ. And so this is what we mean when we confess the name. So I hope you have more understanding of it. And you'll appreciate more and more the value of it. This precious name of Christ.